Uh, do you know who Ari Aster is? No, who's that? He directed Midsommar and Hereditary. Uh, yeah, the two movies that I don't know that I actually want to watch. Anyways, what about him? Okay, that's hilarious because I haven't seen either a movie and I don't think uh-huh. I will see either movie, but yeah, I'm kind of I don't obsessed think I with to. both of them. Okay, tell me more. I've been watching tons of Easter eggs, behind the scenes, people reacting so that maybe if I do ever watch them, it won't entirely freak me out because I'm thoroughly uh-huh. familiar with them, but... I haven't gotten the full, it's like I've been vaccinated against these movies. Right? <laughs> yeah, you'll still get the virus. Yeah, yeah. But when I watch but it, it, it just won't, won't be, be as bad. bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> Welcome to episode 431 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, I hope you're doing well. Hanging in. Let's dig in. Okay. We got some new VIPs this week, Marshall. Hey. Welcome to the fam. Huge shout outs to our new very important pixels, Chris Cayeta or Chris Caletta. I don't know one of the two, hopefully. Anna Barta, Jan Fructel, Michael Lee, Albin Grain, Kyle Baldinger, Henry Roddy, and Sarah Sanguino. Welcome to the fam, everybody. Hey, welcome. Sorry if I butchered your name. I tried really hard. <laughs> you know, there was a couple forks in the road there, yeah. and you yeah. might have chosen the wrong path, but you gave it the old college try. Gave it the college try. All right. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported show. That means every week, we actually don't create just one episode. We actually create two. Yeah. And the second one is exclusive for our supporters on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash design details, you can sign up for that bonus episode. We call it the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. And it's just a buck a month. For a buck a month, you get access to that double app, bonus content, sweet, sweet sidebar where we dig into an extra design topic, answer a bonus listener question, or something else. This week, we're actually doing kind of a deeper follow-up into design YouTube. A little bit selfishly, but I'm learning so much. And so we're going to talk all about what I'm figuring out, making content for YouTube, and how what I'm learning actually teaches good lessons that I think more product designers could learn from. So if you want to hear about that, get access to our entire backlog of sidebars and get double apps going forward. Head to patreon.com slash design details and sign up for just a buck a month. It's just a buck a month. All right, Marshall, follow-up time. You want to get this one? Yeah. So last episode, we answered a few listener questions, one of which was about saving the state of your product at a certain point, and we recommended creating components of all the key screens of your product and putting those into a document and not updating them and potentially detaching those uh, or breaking them from the main component. And I lamented that that would probably be a laborious process, but Brian said maybe there would be a plugin or something out there that would make it easier. And lo and behold, listener Small Medium wrote in to let us know that bulk detach is actually a thing and it's native. First party. Yeah. It's called detach all nested instances and it is a native thing. So thank you for letting us know about that. I didn't know and now I know. Thank you, Small Medium. Yeah. Okay, Marshall, main topic time? Main topic. What do we got, Brian? Another listener question? An anonymous listener question. It's a little bit of a long one, but I think it's going to lead to a productive conversation. So let's dig in. Anonymous wrote to us in our DMs on Twitter, says, Hi, guys. I've heard you and a lot of senior designers talk about how little they knew when they started their professional career. This doesn't mean they were bad designers, but they were just starting out. But they got a job, worked hard, learned, and climbed up the ladder. 
I've been working as an industrial designer for 10 plus years, mostly by myself. I've designed, manufactured, and shipped a lot of products all over the world. I've been trying to transition into digital UX design for the last few years, and I'm having a hard time getting a job. I think me not having a company experience and not having digital UX experience are the two main problems. Even though it seems digital UX design is different than industrial UX design, it's actually the same. UX in industrial design is actually harder, and I have a lot of experience in that. I cringe when I hear a, quote, senior digital UX designer with three to four years of experience talk about how they've been working on a nav bar for the last two years and how hard it is. I'm not trying to diminish the work they do. I know how tech jobs work and how the world we live in needs them. I just wish more recruiters knew how the real source of UX design came from industrial design and the experience in that area is very applicable to digital UX design with a few minor tweaks. It'd be great to hear your thoughts about this. Why are industrial designers not valued as much as digital UX designers and their experience not calculated as a UX design experience while applying for jobs? Wow. Okay. Interesting question. Very interesting question. And I thought about this one for a long time. So here's what I did, Marshall. I I thought about this. I formulated some of my opinions, my take. And then I actually went and talked to a couple industrial designers. I have two friends who are very successful industrial designers and anonymously ran this prompt by them and got some feedback as well. So I've sort of shaped my point of view here. And here's what I think I'm going to do. I think I'm going to deliver the blunt feedback and then we can talk about some actual solutions if that feels okay. Okay, hit me. So here's the blunt feedback for this anonymous listener. I felt like after reading this message that you were perhaps feeling a little bit defensive or perhaps feeling a little bit frustrated with the fact that you're switching industries from a field where you were successful and respected and had done good work and now you're having trouble in the new setting but some small things in the way you frame this question made me feel like maybe that transition is being slowed down a little bit by ego maybe a little bit by humility, and I think just the ability to actually get in and do some work. So for example, when you said, I cringe when I hear a senior UX designer with three to four years of experience talk about how they've been working on a nav bar for two years and how hard it is, I felt like that sentence was pretty dismissive. And I'm not trying to say that designing a nav bar is the hardest thing in the world, but it's also not easy. Like navigation bars these days can be complex, right? Like you've got to think about how this is going to work on a million devices of all different sizes at different resolutions, meeting contrast ratios and having a clear IA and getting people in and out and how it's going to appear on different pages and should it always be there? Should it disappear in some cases? Like there's all sorts of ways to tackle navigation in an app, especially packing that into a nav bar. Mm -hmm. And that's just one component. And that's just one component. And it felt like your message, while you said, I'm not trying to diminish the work they do, you were diminishing the work that they do. You were diminishing that there is a reality where digital software design might be more complex than you think. So that's where I want to start is I just felt like we're coming at this prompt from perhaps a little bit of a defensive point of view. Now, let's talk about solutions because holy shit. I feel like I can't imagine trying to become an industrial designer at this point in my career, Marshall. I don't know about you. Nope. (laughs) For for all these same reasons, right? It's like, fuck. Like, I think I know about user experience design, but the materials are different. Everything is different. 
right? Yeah, there might be some amount of knowledge that would transfer, but... Yeah, you, you would get a little bit, right? Like you would take some usability principles, but understanding the physics of crafting physical goods and the implications of what it means to build something and ship it to a customer and not have the ability to iterate on it, like that is incredibly intimidating. And it's a reason why I don't think I would be a successful <laughs> industrial designer. Yeah. Like that process just doesn't sound appealing to me. I love the ability to fix stuff after the fact in digital land. I right? recognize my own fallibility. It's nice I work in an industry where I can fix my inevitable mistakes. Yeah. So, okay. So we've established a couple things. One, I think, is the defensive part. But two is, clearly you're right. There are transferable skills from one area to the next. So why are you having trouble getting a job? Well, it's really hard to say, like without having maybe spent more time looking at your work or gone through an interview, but perhaps there's something here on the defensiveness or like even thinking that UX, digital UX design is beneath you. Maybe the, that is coming across as you're interviewing for work. But another thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately, especially in the last, I don't know, two weeks since I uh, started creating content on YouTube is revisiting this idea of the gap, you know, the famous Ira Glass talk which is that you understand internally what a good user experience is in the industrial context. And I'm sure that switching into the digital context, you also know what a good user experience is and what it should look like and feel like. But it might be the case that what you're making, the digital work you're doing, hasn't quite crossed that chasm from what you know it should feel like to what it actually is on the page, on the screen, the thing that you're having to present in a portfolio review. And so this is an assumption, but if that's true, the solution is very simple. It's go make more shit. And I think there's really good news for you, Anonymous, which is as soon as you cross this hurdle, like it sounds like you're in the middle of a little slump, a trough. When you come out the other side, here's what the situation will be. You will have put in enough reps to be really good at digital UX design and you will have a background of doing really great work in industrial design. And that is an incredible way to stand apart in an interview, right? Because all of a sudden, the hiring manager is looking at you versus some other candidate who only has the digital experience versus you who has digital and industrial. Who's the stronger candidate? Clearly you. The problem is they're hiring you primarily for the digital part. So if your digital work isn't as good as the person who is primarily doing digital and doesn't have any industrial experience, well, that person's probably still going to get the job. So anyways, on the other side of this trough is a great future, right? Like once that UX, the, the digital bar meets your industrial bar, you're going to have this sort of one-two punch with anyone you talk to. That's what I think. I, I would view a strong industrial background from somebody who does really good digital work, I'd be like, holy shit, this person's a unicorn. Of course, why wouldn't I want to work with them and learn from them? Like, they all have so much to teach me. It's why I like I, the friends I have who are industrial designers are so fun to hang out with because they think about design in very different and interesting ways. It's really fun to compare and contrast our fields. So anyways, that's kind of my thinking on how I would answer this question. Marshall, did this strike you differently? Do you have maybe a, a different take or a different perspective on this? No, I, as you were talking, I'm like, wow, I could not have said this better myself. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Like, were your digital UX design skills on par with all the other people that you're competing with? Your background in industrial design would set you further apart. So it makes uh -huh, me think yeah. that if you're not being set apart by that, that 
your digital UX design skills aren't up to par with the people you're competing against. So once you get there, yeah, you'll you'll be a shoe in because not only will you be just as good as everybody else, but you'll have this added bonus. I've just got to imagine like martial art. This makes me really respect. I know people occasionally do career late career transitions. It's not very common for this reason. There's just so much pain involved in going from a field where you have deep expertise, a track record, contacts who know and understand your work and you have a reputation, right? And then switching to something that is similar but different and basically starting from scratch. Uh The idea of that is very intimidating. Terrifying. But it seems like the only way out is through. Like, okay, if you are switching and you are excited and interested in digital user experience design, go do a lot of it. (laughs) And, you know, easier said than done, but like side projects, whatever, go do some unsolicited redesigns that you don't publish. Unsolicited redesigns. I mean, we've talked about this, right? Like Mm -hmm. practice privately, but just work on crossing that that gap, the Ira Glass gap from where you know how it should look and feel and be good and the hard skills just aren't muscle memoried into your hands quite yet. And then once that's done, you're golden. Totally agree, Brian. Okay. I hope this uh, comes across with, with the best intentions. Um, feel free to reply in our, our DM thread. With any follow-up thoughts, I, I would actually particularly appreciate that because I feel like this is one of the few listener questions where maybe we've pushed back and like sort of noted that we felt somebody was coming in defensive or something like that. So having some follow-up would actually be really cool to hear. Like, did we get it wrong or was this useful? And even if it's maybe six months or a year from now, like what happened? All of that would be really cool so that we can refine, you know, the way we think about this. And I'm sure in the future, Marshall, you and I will encounter more people who are switching fields or switching careers after being very successful in another field and coming into UX design and like our ability to calibrate and give good advice will just be better if we have more case studies like this that we can draw from. Yep. All right. Cool things. Cool things, Brian. Shall I go first? You shall. All right. I got a video game this week. Here's the pitch, Brian. Robot Dinosaurs. Okay. Are you in? Uh, Obviously. Okay. Yeah. Played the first game, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. The sequel is now out, Horizon Forbidden West. Open world, tons of little blips on the map to go figure out what that question mark is, side quests, all that sort of stuff. But uh, rather than like tell you about what the game is, I think anybody who played the first game is probably going to play the second one. Anybody who didn't play it. You should play this one. Maybe watch a YouTube video on like the story of the first one to catch you up and start on the second one because they're kind of the same game. Anyways, here's two good things and one bad thing about this game uh, from a UX perspective. All right. So distance is not measured in like meters or anything. This is not like a number M. It's an icon with like two footsteps and then a number. Uh, so like mm-hmm. and, it, and if you walk there, that is the number of steps it will take you to get to that place. If you run, it's it's less, you know, it it goes faster, but that was pretty cool. Now that's a cool design detail. (laughs) Yeah, I thought so too. Should we do that more? I feel like we're missing out on opportunities to really, you know, bring the title into our content. They're just squatting on this podcast name, (laughs) Uh Not, not using it to its full potential. All right, well, here's another one, Brian. I like playing video games that show me all the stuff I need to see and get out of my way when I don't need to see this stuff. So for example... If it's a game where you have guns, don't show me how much ammunition I have for that gun. 
unless I have it up, it's active. When it's holstered, don't show me that shit, doesn't matter, right? This game is really good about that in that most of the HUD hides, but you can always swipe up on the touchpad. It's a PlayStation game, so a little touchpad at the top. If you swipe up on that, it will show you the HUD, and then that will fade out eventually. It's kind of like the when I need it, just like one gesture away. But for the most part, it stays out of my way. Love that shit. That's pretty cool. I, I suppose that would make it what feel just more cinematic and immersive. Yeah. It's a beautiful game, too. Like, this isn't a bullet point, but like it's a beautiful fucking game. So getting that UI out of the way and just enjoying sunsets and like the lush forests and stuff and robot dinosaurs, like, there's there's no downside. Uh, well, let's talk about one bad thing. So, okay. Okay. Like I said, it's an open world game, which means there's lots of looting, including like nature looting. So like picking berries and leaves and stuff like that. Part of the crafting of the game is you have to have certain components. So as you're running along, there's like a berry that you're walking past. Like, let me grab one of those, uh-huh. right? And you end up doing that, just constantly hitting the triangle button. And the way that most games handle this is like, it, you don't stop running. You're running along. You hit the triangle button near the thing. It automatically just gets grabbed. Maybe there's an animation associated with it, but you, you just keep going. This game, you stop, bend down, grab it, stand back up, and then you can keep running for every fucking thing. And some of them, it's not just a triangle <sighs> press. It's a triangle hold, right? So, uh, so looting, which is a thing that I enjoy about these types of games of like, uh, if I search and like go into this weird corner, is there a chest? And usually in this game, there is one. So that's a huge bonus for it. But when I get there, I got to fucking hold triangle and kneel down and open it up and then go through and hit triangle again to take all the things. And anyways, that kind of sucks. That slows things that down. That sounds very tedious. But yeah. Anyways, there's two good things and one bad thing about the game from a UX perspective, Brian. How's that for a cool thing? It sounds cool. I think the problem is, isn't it? basically impossible to get a playstation 5 these days oh i'm playing it on my uh, ps4 pro okay it'll work on ps4 regular ps4 pro and ps5 yeah i don't have either of those things so cool thing uh maybe i will play it someday marshall that's great you can Um, watch me play it okay (laughs) what's your cool thing my cool thing is far less cool than your cool thing it's an app and let me describe a problem for you okay i don't know if you have the same problem I frequently encounter articles across the the World Wide Web that I find interesting and I just don't have time to read it right now, so I want to read it later. And so I pop all my stuff over into an app called Instapaper, which is a read it later app. It queues up all your stuff, saves it for offline access. The problem is that my Instapaper backlog just fills up. It fills up faster than I can read things. And that's a symptom of a few things. One is like, I'm lazy and just forget or, you know, I see Instapaper alongside Twitter. I'm like, oh, I know what I would rather be reading right now. And that doesn't feel great. I feel like there's a lot more, like a a lot more of a peaceful experience to be had by reading long form content, especially if it's interesting and good and insightful, whereas Twitter, it's always a crapshoot. So anyways, this is a little bit of a problem I have. And there is an app that is designed to solve this and it's called Read like Alfred, but read. And how do I describe this? It kind of sits on top of your Instapaper account, although I think it also acts as a native read it later app. And the way it works is basically forces you into a Tinder-like swipe left or right situation with each item in your to read list. And so with each thing, you're forced to either archive it or read it later, where read it later will queue it up the next day. But it forces you to go one at a time. 
Because often what I found myself doing is I would go through my whole backlog of Instapaper queued stuff and be like, ah, I'm just overwhelmed. I don't even know where to start. So this app is very opinionated. It's like, you got to go one at a time and make a call. Do you care about this anymore or do you want to give it one more day? Or, of course, read it. And then as soon as you read it, it leaves your queue. So anyways, it's kind of a fun little app. I think it has a very nice visual design. It has a couple gamification elements like there's a streak system and you can set up weekly reading goals for articles. And uh, But it's a simple app. It looks great. I like the Tinder style interaction. It keeps track of where you were in an article. So if you read halfway and then leave the app and come back, it'll remember that you were halfway. Just little details like that. Uh, and that's it. Yeah, just an app that I found last week. I'm giving it a try. It's a paid app, so there's a trial and then you pay like a annual subscription, but I'm generally happy to pay for indie software if it solves a problem. So anyways, maybe just a cool thing from a design perspective. If people want to play with a, a simple little iOS app, I would recommend checking it out. Yeah, this is like the Marie Kondo to the Instapaper pocket hoarding, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Lovely way to frame it. <laughs> so anyways, okay, Alfred, link in the show notes. Dig it. Cool thing, Brian. That's it. This has been episode 431 of the Design Details Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter, as always, at Design Details FM. If you want to DM us, we consider DMs anonymous, and we can talk about a topic or a question. Uh, thank you to today's anonymous question asker. We appreciate the prompt. And if you want to ask something in public and get shouted out in future episodes, uh, be sure to open an issue on our GitHub at github.com slash design details slash design details. Just open an issue there and uh, hopefully we, we will be able to visit that idea in a future episode. Otherwise, if you're enjoying the show, whether it's your first time listening or 431st episode, uh, we hope you'll consider supporting us. If you go to patreon.com slash design details, you can sign up for just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. And if you do, you'll get access to a bonus episode. We call it the sidebar. Sidebar sidebar in today's sidebar we're doing a follow-up on making design content for youtube mm -hmm. uh but with some practical tips and and uh advice for product designers so if you want to hear that and get access to our backlog of all sidebars and double episodes going forward be sure to head patreon.com slash design details all right that's it catch you next week bye Isn't that crazy that it's still hard to get a PS5? It's nuts. I was looking into it. I mean, you can get one if you're willing to pay a lot for it, but I don't want to pay more than retail. No, I don't want to reward squatters. Yeah, exactly. Fuck that. You can get one. They're available at a price. <sighs> mm -hmm. SpongeBob text. Supply chain. <laughs>